0: I want to go on actually to Paul, your case. I want to make sure we get your take on stage three and what happened at ASCO. So, Paul, if you can just kind of go through your case beginning and end,
1: and then we'll talk about kind of what it means. So, this is a 76-year-old man who has very mild Alzheimer's-related dementia, but pretty much able to care for himself and pretty good at making decisions for himself with a very domineering wife who had an experience with in-situ carcinoma of the gallbladder, successfully treated. So a cancer experience in her background. He's a 22-year ex-smoker. In February of 06, he develops a dry cough leading to a CAT scan showing a 3.2-centimeter PET hypermetabolic left lower lobe mass with Hyler and mediastinal lymphadenopathy. He goes on to a bronchoscopy, which was non-diagnostic, and at some point gets a Hyler node biopsy showing squamous cell carcinoma a mediastinoscopy was negative. At the attempted thoracotomy, the tumor was densely adherent to the mediastinum and was shown to involve one ipsilateral mediastinal lymph node. So he was staged as T3N2M0 stage 3. At the time, he was eligible for a clinical trial run by Jim Regis at Dartmouth with radiotherapy and low-dose weekly carboplatin docetaxel, and so he completed that. How did he do on that? Actually, he tolerated the therapy reasonably well for the first four to five weeks. And then, although he got the sixth week of therapy and finished all the radiation, he developed significant esophagitis, leading to a stricture almost that needed to be dilated. And so he had a prolonged gap between the completion of his cancer therapy and the next point along the curve, so to speak, as to what to do at this point on the trial, because he needed to have his esophagus opened up, he had to regain some of his strength and get his nutrition beefed up a little. He lost bit. weight. He had lost a little bit of weight during this period. Spent three or four weeks in a nursing home getting resuscitated, so to speak. So this
0: is a really difficult experience. It for was me. a
1: tough. Yes, it turned out toward the very. And it's surprising to me a little bit, actually, but toward the end of the treatment, it became rather difficult. But he has sort of bounced back now. He's home living with his wife and ready to go on to the next phase of his treatment. How long has it been? About a month.
2: Only a month? All that was? No, finishing yes. therapy. From the time he finished his RT to, to now? To about now, maybe
1: a month, five weeks, something like that.
2: Oh, it's so only two weeks longer.
1: So what's the situation? His general functional status right now? Well, he's eating and swallowing. He's not losing any more weight. He is breathing comfortably. He's home. He's pain-free, and he's still a little mentally compromised, but not very much. And were you able to get a feel from him in
0: terms of, were you able to communicate with him, first of all, well, and get a feel for where he was at? Yeah. Where was he at? He would
1: like to be, you know, sort of proactive about the management of his cancer. His wife had some negative feelings about that, but ultimately feels that she would want to do whatever makes him happy. So she kind of was leaning toward, well, maybe we shouldn't have so much treatment? Initially, she didn't want to do anything, but I was somewhat persuasive in getting this done. Did they ask you in terms of this, what they were about to embark upon, in terms of
0: what the chances were that he'd get through this and not have a problem in the next five or ten years?
1: I told him that the therapy could potentially be troubling, although I didn't think it was going to be as bad as it ultimately was, that although we would hope to control this for a few years, the probability with stage 3 lung cancer, unresected, is not good, and that he would probably die of his disease if something else didn't come along and kill him first. Did you actually have that conversation? Yes, I did, because the wife at the time, having had her own cancer experience, was very inquisitive. How much he understood, I'm not quite sure. So he completed that therapy, and now he's ready to
0: be. So who
2: signed the informed consent for this study? Both of them.
0: Ed, can you kind of summarize where we are with stage 3 disease and what happened at ASCO and sort of what the next step forward is going to be in terms of clinical research? So
3: in stage 3 locally advanced, we know that chemo XRT is better than giving it any other way. At this point, sequentially, it first started with the Dillman studies of induction chemo followed by radiation. That was better than radiation alone. Then we had things like RTOG 9410 that showed that giving it concurrently with once daily radiation was better with chemotherapy. So that's really been the standard of care. I think many people have adopted either weekly taxane platinum regimens, and Hack Choi has done some studies where he's done that and given two full doses of chemotherapy on the end. The SWOG developed a regimen using cisinotoposide with radiation, followed by two more cycles of cisinotoposide, and then later switched that, based on the 9504 data, to cisinotoposide radiation, followed by three cycles of docetaxel. This year at ASCO, Nasser Hanna presented data on behalf of the Hoosier Oncology Group that showed that giving consolidation docetaxel was not beneficial to a stage 3 patient population. So, there is some question now about whether that's just inadequate, or we should be giving full dose systemic therapy afterwards, or whether we should be giving full dose systemic therapy with the radiation, or is weekly enough to cover it in conjunction with the radiation, and we should do no further chemotherapy. The CLGB a few years ago reported a study of induction carbotaxol followed by concurrent chemoradiation versus concurrent radiation, and that was largely negative now it did trend in a direction of positivity but there was more side effects with the induction chemotherapy So in this patient, if we saw them at Anderson, we would probably do the same thing. We would do a concurrent chemoradiation schema. He is 76, so that age does get there. I think it's extremely bad luck that it happened that he had all these complications, but it hasn't set him that far back. I think if it's only been five weeks. How unusual
0: is it? It's bad luck in a 76-year-old to have this happen.
3: It's dependent on radiotherapists, where they plan, and frankly, we don't understand sensitivity of radiation to bronchial epithelium or esophageal epithelium. We have all kinds of potluck when we do it in head-neck patients as well, as far as the degrees of mucositis. Some people are just exquisitely sensitive, some people aren't, and I think we just haven't figured out that aspect yet.
0: One of the things that came out of the think tank as we were talking about this yesterday, and also the SWOG-023 study, which you might comment on, that also used that 95. before background, plus or minus erlotinib, is the selection of patients and how people do based on their age and status when they go through something like this. The HOG study, I guess people said, well, they got most of their chemotherapy, but 46% of these people ended up in the hospital. So that doesn't sound like necessarily a very easy time. And I don't know, Paul, is the course that this man had similar to what you've seen in other
1: patients in their 70s? No, this is a little bit more severe. I've been perhaps lucky in my experience with the combined weekly chemotherapy and radiation therapy to avoid these kinds of problems for the most part. Right. But I agree, some
2: patients get sick. I think it's unpredictable sometimes.
0: Overall, what fraction of patients in their 70s have not necessarily as difficult a time as this, but you know a pretty difficult time where their performance status changes and it's a major issue? How often does that happen, Bill, in your own experience? Maybe one out of five, one out of six. So most people go through it okay, and I'm seeing people shake their heads around the table. Alan?
2: I would agree with all that. The only thought with this particular gentleman is to whether or not we were sort of minimizing his other comorbidities a little bit in order to try and get him something. And should we have been as surprised as we were? So he's 76. He's 76. He did have some weight loss. I forget how much you said. The original studies, 5% is the cutoff for the good performance status and the bad, which is not a lot of weight loss. And we forget about that, that in those earlier studies, the Dillman and those others, they excluded patients who lost more than 5% of their weight. He, I think you said four to six pounds or something like that. And so that's close. And we don't usually think about that because we usually think about more 10%, 10 pounds and plus or whatever. So that's one. Again, he was an early Alzheimer's. I don't know. Was he taking care of himself? If you really- Oh, he was living
1: look- at home and functional, you know- with his friends and stuff. It was more cognitive than physical.
2: Okay. Just as a thought as to whether or not with the weight loss and whatnot. And so I certainly don't think it was unreasonable to do what you did. I think that's very fair. And of the concurrent therapy, which is much harder than sequential therapy, but the weekly low-dose taxane and platinum is the easier of the two choices that you have as opposed to full-dose platinum etoposide.
0: This study was looking at docetaxel. What do we know about docetaxel in this situation? Actually, not a
2: lot, although it's become very popular to use outside of clinical trials, we're actually also doing a study in our network of weekly low dose docetaxel, carboplatin, given concurrently with radiation therapy, followed by two cycles of consolidative therapy. And interestingly, I don't know that there's any literature that's actually published. That's
3: it's mostly phase one and phase two data. Yeah. Largely, it hasn't infiltrated into the cooperative groups in a lot of the studies that they've used or right. the RTOG, but it's largely phase two It was actually going
2: though. to be utilized in the intergroup.
3: Right. right. So part. based on the HANA reports at ASCO, as I
1: understood it, the consolidative taxane after,
2: you know. After col- platinum And concurrent. And concurrent. We don't know what it means in this particular setting. Okay. Although what we do have is CLGB data that yeah. suggests that adding it at front of it. Didn't really necessarily add it, so.
0: So what these people want to know is, what do they do now, right now? With so these here's patients. the trial.
1: So the trial takes this guy who's you know has had no further progression of his disease, and then he is just now going to be studied, but then randomizes him to either placebo or erlotinib. Oh, that's all. That's it. That's the study.
2: Okay. So, Ed, where we to are we right that. now? We'll
0: tolerate that. And yeah. we can just flesh this out a little bit more, Ed. Right now, next patient that comes in with stage 3 disease, not eligible for a study, what are you going to be thinking in terms of non-protocol options? And also your issue about you know what we talked about yesterday, the whole concept of consolidation or adjuvant there, whatever you want to call it in terms of treating metastatic disease. We just don't have the data, but we have to make decisions. What are you going to do?
3: Right. So my standard of practice before... Any of these trials and before the positive or the negative ones was to give concurrent chemo radiation. We do this in head and neck as well. No one would argue that single agent cis is great systemic coverage. And I would evaluate them about six weeks later and see how they tolerated therapy. With what agent, what chemo agent with the radiation? Generally, with the radiation, I would use either two regimens. One would be the cis ala a la the swag or a low dose weekly cis docetaxel, 20 per meter squared of each. Then I would reevaluate them at six weeks, and if they didn't look good, like this guy doesn't sound like he looks very good, I say, you know what, we're done. I'll see you in three months. We're going to restage you, see how things look. Again, we all have that impetus to want to give more therapy and give better systemic coverage. We don't have the data right now whether that's applicable or not, and I wouldn't say it's wrong. If the guy came back and he looked great and was recovering well, I would give him some additional chemotherapy. That's been my bias.
0: What chemotherapy?
3: In light of the HOG data, previously before Nasser's trial, I would have considered the three cycles of docetaxel. At this point, I would probably go two cycles of full dose, thinking more along the lines of a carbotaxateer type or platinum taxane regimen.
0: Alan?
2: So off-study, what I do is two cycles of platinum metoposide a la the SWOG regimen in my very good performance status patients. And then the dilemma is what do you do after the chemo radiation therapy in light of the HOG? What the HOG study showed us is that adding three cycles of docetaxel in that setting does not provide any benefit. What I would have liked to have seen in that particular study, because the original SWOG design, the docetaxel, was not added. It replaced Two cycles of platinum atopicide. That's what all the earlier SWOG data is based on. So, what I would have loved to have seen was a four cycle platinum atopicide RT versus the two cycles platinum etoposide RT followed by the dose of Taxol to see if what we don't know is the two more cycles of chemotherapy provide a benefit in this setting or not. And so, I do also the concept of follow them after the chemo radiotherapy, see how they're doing. If they're doing exceptionally well, I had a woman just Recently, she's about 45 years old. She unbelievably sailed through the chemo and radiotherapy. I mean, she's gained weight during the chemo radiotherapy. She's working full time, and this is platinum atopicide swag regimen. And so we discussed what to do. I didn't have the data that I knew that I was not going to give her three more cycles of the dose of taxa, but we ended up giving two more cycles of platinum atoposide. And so that's what I've done with her. In patients who are marginal, I would do a weekly carbotaxane. I've tended to use carbopaclitaxel, but with weekly concurrent chemoradiotherapy followed by a couple cycles of full dose consolidative therapy. Do you really think atoposide is an effective agent? I still puzzle yes. this. One. You do. Yeah. Now, I can't tell you that substituting a more modern agent like gem or some of the others might not be better, but the best data we have for locally advanced disease is with either platinum vinblastin or platinum etoboside. The hog data, 22-month median survival, 23-month median survival is the best we've seen in our, and that's a randomized study. And I was at Indiana on faculty for eight years. Those are real world patients that are going on those studies.
0: What about the 0023 study? That was the other stage three study that was reported at ASCO. Ed, can you comment on that? Yeah,
3: that was the study that followed up the 9504 in which patients were randomized pretty early in the process to receive after their consolidation chemo radiation consolidation docetaxel to receive either Iressa or no Iressa. And this is more pertinent to what you're talking about now is to see what to do. I think there's pretty much agreement out there that The study is provocative in that it may have shown that there was not an enhancement of any effect survival-wise with supplemental EGFR, specifically ARESA in that situation, that trial had a lot of flaws. It was very underpowered. It looked early. First, it was supposed to be a safety analysis, and then they decided to look at it from an efficacy standpoint, and PFS was the same, but then overall survival was worse. So I think you can only make the fact that it didn't help in that study. I don't know if I would say it was worse because, again, a lot of that is subset analyses, and if we want to get into subset analyses, then we can question women with Avastin and all these other things as well.
2: I and mean, now you getting- personal.
3: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I lived in Indiana for 18 years, so I, I know, I know. But I think in this situation where it is still on a study that the patient is participating, I think it's a reasonable question to continue with. And what if this study at the completion, let's say the patient decides to drop out and they do finish the study and actually this shows there's a benefit. We want to continue to do Studies that ask these questions and even finish them in a more timely manner is the key. So I would be very supportive of this patient to go on and be randomized as long as he is still fit enough to continue in the study.
1: Yeah, he is. Actually, I saw him yesterday. He's pretty fit. He has to go through some staging and PFTs and stuff, but he. I'd be a
0: little bit nervous about taking gefitinib in this situation. Looking at those curves and O two three, Alan. I mean, it was interesting because nobody could figure out well, why would they do worse. And actually, Wally Kern brought up an interesting point yesterday in terms of maybe that there was an imbalance in the stratification at the randomization point. What was your take, Alan? People kind of came away from that initially and now with this update saying... Why does the curve look worse when you get Jafitinib?
2: I cannot answer why it looks worse. You know, and it's funny because we talk about it being an underpowered study. However, it certainly wasn't underpowered enough that the placebo didn't have a statistically significant survival <laughs> advantage. It is one of the more curious things. Could it be anything more than that one out of 20 study that's positive by you know, chance alone? I think the way Ed described it is exactly the way I would, is that there's no difference. You did not gain anything with the addition of Jafitinib, and I think that that's a fair statement. Did It harmed them. I suppose there's a chance that that's the case. Again, given what we saw, although the numbers were actually okay. Again, if I remember correctly, the Jefitnev arm was about 21, 22 months, and it was about 31 months with the placebo. So it doesn't look as if gefitinib actually harmed anyone. Those numbers were actually comparable in the ballpark at least is some of their phase two data because phase three data is always a little bit less. So in some I mean it looked like the placebo actually helped for whatever reason. I'm a little less concerned that they were getting harmed by the TK inhibition. And I think you've got a rigorously analyzed study that was IRB approved. It's been reviewed by a number of ethics boards and everyone felt that it was okay to go through. I would be very comfortable with it at this time. You were comfortable with it before and it's not the issue of Olatnib. I mean he had problems just from standard therapy. So if you were comfortable having him sign it before, I'd be comfortable having him finish it. As you it actually
1: can't say that it didn't harm because this may have been a break. The I'm data, sorry. a break, you know, the 10 month difference between placebo and the irisa arms. Uh-huh. You can't say it didn't do any harm because you don't know what happened. It's almost like a replication because you've got a 10 month difference, which you can say. Well, no, you I made, understand. Uh, but what you I'm you saying is say the control
2: positive. arm did what other control arms have right. done in that setting. That's all. If it was 15 months, for the Jafitinib and 22 months for the placebo, then I would be more worried about harm, Exactly. okay? But in this particular case, the Jafitinib arm did about as well as what we've ever seen in combined modality therapy. So I can't say with any 100% certainty, but I'd be much more confident that it wasn't hurting him personally, plus going through all the data that we've seen.